Good morning, greetings to each one of you in Jesus' name. Welcome. Welcome our friends from Pennsylvania, Rod and Gina. Some other familiar faces I see. I'm not an artist. Don't laugh. But I think you'll be able to see and understand possibly what this is. Everybody see that? Okay. I'll get to that later. So pay attention. Do I need to turn it back around? No, I am glad to be here. It, it's a blessing to be able to fellowship together, to worship together. And uh, we all are extremely blessed people. Blessed with the commitment that we see in people that are striving to follow Christ to reach out to the community, to neighbors, to family, to friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's why we are here. Not just at this particular spot, but that's why we are here on this earth. So that we can come to a knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ and experience a peace and joy in our lives that blossoms into a eternal life, a view of eternity, and then to share that good news with those around us. As a Christian community, we are extremely blessed. But along with that blessing, we have an enemy. And so along with the blessing and the encouragement, we also need some warnings. And so where do these warnings come from? Well, we see countless times in Scripture where God, as He spoke to the children of Israel, He gave them warnings. He gave them instructions. These warnings come from people. God directed people. People that are serious about their walk with God. They come from people that are awake and alert to what God's Word says and what, uh, or even the direction that maybe we are traveling. And so along with those that are alert, sometimes we receive some admonition. And I was amazed as Darren stood up here and read Luke, how it's so tied in with the message of today because he had no clue, I don't think, what I was planning to share on, share with share with you this morning. But it says in verse 37, Blessed when the Lord finds us watching. The title of the message this morning is Watchman. For myself as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, even in past as a teacher, you know, we are um, we have responsibilities, and those responsibilities are not always pleasant responsibilities. But for the most part, they are a blessing. 
And so as a, as a pastor, as someone that cares for you personally, for your soul, and for the, for, as, as a person, as a, a Christian brother that cares for the lost around us, I want to say, God bless the person that shared with me the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because had that news not been shared with me as a teenager up through till I was 17 and accepted Christ, I don't know where I would be, but my life was not going in the right direction at one time. But you know, God gives us some encouragement along the way. He gives us some responsibilities and that changes sometimes our viewpoint. And so this morning, as a brother, as a pastor, I want to, be, I want to encourage you, but I also want to share some things that maybe we need to be watching out for. And so that, thus, the picture. I want you to turn with me, if you will, first to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, starting at verse 17. I really enjoy, and I've shared with you all before, that I enjoy the Old Testament the history, the warnings, the, the, the things that foretell of Jesus coming. There's so many, so many good things and good, good things in the Old Testament that we can learn from. But it says here in Ezekiel 3, starting at verse 17, it says, "Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me." Now, you may not be standing up here preaching today, but I will dare say that you have some type of responsibility somewhere, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's a mother or father, whether it's a grandparent, whether it's a... It's, yeah, somewhere in your life, you have someone that is looking to you to give instruction and to live a life that they can look up to. This word watchman... In this verse 17, it comes from the primitive Hebrew root. It means to lean forward. To lean forward. It means to peer into the distance. It means to observe, to await, to behold, to look up, to wait for. It means a watchman. And as I read this, uh, I like word meanings too. As I read some of these words, I had to think of a ship with a crow's nest. And you know, when, when those ships would come close to shore way back years ago before they had sonar and some of these other things, they would put a man up in the crow's nest with a scope. And he would be their watchman. He would be someone that was looking into the distance, that was peering all around to make sure that they didn't hit the breakers or the reefs or even the rocks close to shore. He was there to give them warning, to peer into the distance, to be observant, to look up. He was their watchman. The word warning means to gleam, and I'm not sure exactly where that, what that is actually aiming at, but it means to enlighten, to admonish, to shine forth, to teach, but it means warning. A watchman 
to enlighten, to admonish, to shine forth, to teach. If we look at that next verse, it says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die. This is God speaking. And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But it says here, in the last phrase of that verse, if we as watchmen don't give a warning or speak as to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save him from eternal destruction, he will die. And he's going to die in his iniquity. But it says in that last phrase, if we don't warn him, we've got blood on our hands. And folks, this morning I share with you because... I don't want blood on my hands. Because I care for you personally, spiritually, for the future. As a pastor, as a brother, as a friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ came and died that we might have life everlasting. And all we need to do is repent and believe and follow faithfully after living a holy life. My desire is that each one of us here can come to that personal relationship with Christ, can come to that time where we gain peace in our hearts, recognizing that we do have a need in our lives and that Jesus Christ is the only way. You know, we, ha- we grew up in this circle of, of where we go to church all the time. We have this disciplined way of life. And all that stuff is really good. But the matter of fact is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And we can play church for the rest of our lives, but if we have not been born again, it really doesn't matter how much we buttoned our button. It really doesn't matter how much we wore our suit, how much I preached really well. It really doesn't matter because if we have not placed our faith in our risen Lord and Savior, we or this wicked man that will die in that iniquity. And so I'm here to give you warning. God has clearly spoken in His Word that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And we all need to find that narrow gate. The Bible clearly says that we must be born again. That we must live a life of obedience to the teachings of Jesus. And my question to you is, God the Creator of everything, has spoken. Are there any questions? I mean, think about it. Are there any questions? The God that created this earth that we live, that we live on, He created the minds that, that give us the ability to comprehend and think and reason. He gave us free choice. He gave us the very breath that we breathe. And yet we question that Almighty God. And I wonder why. But I was there once. And it's because we think we know. We think we have the answers. But is there any doubt in your mind, in my mind, that God really does mean what He says? I want you to turn with me to the New Testament. Excuse me. Mark 16. I'm sorry. If you'll turn to John, I'll turn to Mark. 
I want you to turn to John 3. Mark 6, 6, 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now again, this is God's Word speaking. This is not just Davy up here off the cuff saying, this is, this is what I think needs to be done. But it says in Mark 6, 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not is basically choosing the path. John 3, starting in verse 15 through 19, it says, But whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have, ever, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the good news that we proclaim. This is the good news that most of you all have experienced. And this is the good news that I'm hoping that some of you will experience in the future if you have not made a decision for Christ. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We grow up in these Christian homes, Christian communities, Christian churches, but that does not automatically make you a Christian. It is a personal choice that we make as we come to the age of accountability, as we come to understand right and wrong, as we come to recognize ourselves as a being that seems to want to be recognized. Verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the Son of name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. As a pastor, I share because I care. I share because I, care, I love you, and I want what's best for you right now, physically, but also what's best for you spiritually and in the end. Not that I have everything under my belt. i got a lot under my belt. But not that I have everything under my belt, everything taken care of, because I'm still striving in my life. And I do fail. And I do get admonition from other people. And I appreciate that because it helps me to grow. But thank God I am not where I was when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And even as a young Christian, I thank God that I'm not still struggling with some of the things that I struggled with as a young Christian. We're all needy creatures. And our job as Christians is to encourage one another. Turning back to Ezekiel, it says there, Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. And I want to read that one more time. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. 
In other words, everybody is free choice. We have the ability to choose to live in sin or we have the ability to choose to follow Christ, to follow God. And if we are warning the people, if we are warning one another, if we're warning our children, our students, or whoever we come in contact with, and they choose not to follow, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. Thankfully. It says, but thou hast delivered thy soul. But here is one verse. Verse 20. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness. Now think about that. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, I lay a stumbling block before him and he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. That's where I'm at today, folks. I'm standing in the midst of people that have declared their allegiance to Jesus Christ for the most part. And yet we do fail in life. But it says here, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity or continues in sin. If we don't give him warning, if we don't share a concern, our hands may require a washing. But then the next verse 21, Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and that's why I'm here today, and I share this to myself as much as to you. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. We have an opportunity each day to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. To continue to live faithfully following Him But again, we have an enemy. And the Bible says that this enemy is an angel of light seeking to deceive you, me, everyone that has grown up with this godly heritage seeking to deceive the very elect. And you know what? He is going to use every tactic possible to deceive you, to deceive me. Thus, the can of worms. You know, how many of y'all use the internet? How many of you do not use the internet? One, two, three, four. Four people. Okay. We live in a brotherhood that is uh, that shares accountability, and I really appreciate that. I grew up in a church where it, it wasn't... Accountability wasn't as forthright as some other things. And so that's one of the things that I really appreciate about our churches in keeping one another accountable and warning the righteous that we sin not. But on the back of our council card, and this is in West Rockingham District, it has several questions in, involved with using the internet. 
And these questions are designed to motivate our thinking on several things that we're currently facing. These questions focus on a couple of things that basically mankind has been struggling with since the Eden experience, since the fall of man. The want to be entertained. The want to be the best. And I understand that entertainment has changed since then. There's no doubt about it. But the enticements of the world since the beginning of mankind has been a part of the trouble of man's heart or has been, uh, I guess, a result of man's heart. But we live in a modern age. We live in an age of instant gratification. We live in the age of the internet. We live in the age where we know what's going on all the way over in Australia, where Lester is right now, with a message. And it's an instant message. But it didn't start there. It started about 130, 40, 50 years ago. Just some of the modern things. Do you know when radio was invented? Just the dial of the radio. Anybody? Anybody want to guess when the radio was invented? The first radio was invented in 1885. 1885. 2018 is where we are today. Do the math. The television was invented in the late in, in the 1920s, the late 1920s. The concept of the internet was developed in the 1960s. And do you know what www means when you're looking up something? What does that mean? How many of y'all knew that? It was World Wide Web. WWW means World Wide Web. And that was introduced in 1983. How many of you all were alive in 1983? How many of you all were still not thought about? <laughs> Maybe you're thought about. 1983. So basically, in the last 130 years, communication and information has gone from a letter, and I'm not sure when the Pony Express was. I think it was soon after the Civil War. Is that correct? Pony Express, letter by mail, to... I didn't bring my phone with me. A touch of the screen. My phone's in this vehicle. A touch of the screen to have what the world has to offer. Now think about it. That communication that would have taken... How long did it take to go get a letter, Joel? Remember? From east to west on the Pony Express. It wasn't actually east to west. It was stations, but anyway. I think it was like, how much? Yeah, but I think the Pony Express actually sped that up. Yeah. Now we touch a screen, we can know what the weather is in Australia, in Japan, or wherever. Sports today. How many of y'all like sports? I like sports. How many of y'all are yeah, not really concerned about sports? Okay, well, I would dare say you have a vice somewhere else. 
Because we are beings that like to fill our time with something. We like to be entertained with something. We like to, to uh, stretch our mind with something and maybe even stretch our bodies with something. But sports today has become an idol far taller than any idol that can sit on your worship room shelf or a shelf in your room. Far taller than that. It's something that captures our attention. It captures us to want to maybe be better, stronger, faster as an individual or maybe even as a team. And it attracts us. It's motivated by our desire to be number one. And if we can't personally be involved in something like that, then we tend to sidle up alongside of a local team or maybe even a professional team, and then we become a fan of this, like the Washington Redskins or the Capitals or somebody else. And again, I've been there. We compete by observation, by knowing the details, by comparing those details and then jabbing everybody else that's on the other team and saying, ha, did you see? Eh, Jab, jab. We keep compete by observation. But all of this has been drawn into a little screen the size that can fit in your pocket that you can take into your room, that you can take into the bathroom, that you can take in your car, that you can go wherever you want to go. It's not a God on the shelf, but it's a God that we stick in our pocket. It's a subtle attention-grabbing device that takes time away from things that we as Christian people have historically held as being very important. And I want you to think about this. Bible reading, family devotions, church, missions. And you know, we're talking, we talk about missions and reaching out to the lost. And we had this, we had this uh, questionnaire that went out from the mission committee. Would you be available if you were asked to help out? And you know, we have over 800 members within our sister churches here in Southeastern. We have more than adequate personnel to cover all of the bases needed for the mission outreaches that we have. But why don't we see the people going? I think, and I say this for myself, that sometimes we get caught up with the things that we love most And apparently that's not God. Apparently it's not reaching out to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is reaching in our pocket and talking to our neighbor and texting here and texting there. Instant messaging here or there. Watching the latest this or that. And so Bible reading and family and church becomes second. Listen folks, I'm not preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to myself. It's just a matter of fact. We all deal with this heart issue. But these things are subtly eroding the very foundations of, the biblical, of a biblical New Testament church. And you may say, well, 
It hasn't affected my church attendance, and it probably hasn't. It hasn't affected my church participation, and maybe it hasn't yet. But as we allow ourselves to be distracted from the gospel, it will affect us spiritually. And then it's going to affect our zeal to spread the gospel, to be a part of the mission outreach. It will affect our desire to work in the church and our efforts to continue to follow the what we call traditional biblical standards. And thus we have the can of worms. We have a can of worms, and I remember as a young boy, we lived close to the creek and the river. And it was with great joy when we got done digging thistles that we had to dig. How many of y'all have ever dug a thistle? I'm glad to see that. The, the younger generation today, they, they don't dig thistles, they go... with great joy when we got done digging thistles dad would allow us to go to the creek or the river and we would put on our swimming trunks and grab our fishing poles and we would go dig worms we'd go to the compost pile or we'd go to the clump of grass or look under a rock or wherever it was near the barnyard where we could find those worms and we would get that can and we'd stick those worms in that can with a little bit of dirt. Forgot some. Just a sound explanation. And sometimes we had a lid, and sometimes we didn't. And when we didn't have a lid, what did you do? You put your hand over the top. Why did you do that? Because if you didn't put your hand over the top, the worms would crawl out. Now some would bury down in the bottom, and there would be some that would be laying on the top, but you could almost count that it would happen that the worms, some of them would crawl out and they'd flop on the ground and they'd disappear. With technology today, we have a can that contains a lot of the evils of the world. It's a good tool. And it's called the Internet. And we have a good tool. And we're going to call this can the Internet. That can was a necessary tool to carry those worms. And some of those worms were very active, but some of those worms were really rotten. And they died, and then they stank. But when we'd get there, we'd pick through those contents, and we'd get the good worms, and we'd put them on the hook, and we'd use them for a good cause. And that was to catch some fish, or whatever. But you'd find some of those worms in there that weren't worth keeping, and so we'd throw them out. The good ones that wanted to crawl out, 
Those were the ones that you wanted. But some of those things were slimy and not so good. And we'd throw those those things away. And you know, as we are talking about the internet, sometimes we tend to focus on the can and a few of the specific worms that are actually there. The can is a container. The internet in itself is not such an evil thing, but it's the things that are in the internet that can be distracting and can be evil and can lead us away from God. Or we might need to set something on the shelf. Sometimes we tend to focus on the can as the can being the evil, but the can is a tool. The internet is a tool. Some good, a lot bad, but a container needed. Well, I don't know if it's needed, but it was invented. It's there. We live in a modern age. We have access to this container through that little thing in our pocket. Or it could be a laptop. Or it could be a desktop. But the matter of fact is that years ago, we didn't have the container of the internet. But guess what? The worms were still out there. You just had to go find them. You had to go look behind the clump of grass. You had to go look under the rock. You had to go dig through the, through the mulch pile. You had to go get them. But again, excuse me, again, the heart of the man sent him to the rock, to the clump of grass, to the mulch pile, wherever to get these worms. Some of those worms are needed and good. But some of those worms were dirty and slimy and because of the heart of man, he went looking for those types of worms. Today, that container is right there in front of us. It's easy to get to. These these worms are easy to get to. And it's a subtle way that Satan can use to slowly erode our carefulness. But again, the can doesn't just contain the worms of worldly entertainment or sports or sensuality, but it contains many other vices. Maybe you don't struggle with that worldly entertainment. Maybe you don't struggle with something sensual. Maybe you don't struggle with sports. But I would dare say that you probably struggle with something. And so maybe you have to go looking somewhere else. These worms are there. And Satan uses every little subtle way to get us away from looking at the central focus of Jesus Christ and following our heart's desire. These worms rob us of our time walking with a holy God. But again, these worms could be pride or social media or reading 
or material things or something else that's not contained in the can. Rod shared a thought during Sunday school that was identical with what some notes I have in my text. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 8. And I'm going to be wrapping this up very soon. John chapter 8. Starting at verse 3, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees... Now, this is... I'm not speaking about adultery. Okay? I'm speaking about sin. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in sin. Adultery here. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in in adultery in the very act. Now Moses commanded... Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up Himself, and saw none but the woman, He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, and I would say she probably said this very quietly, very brokenly, Because I would imagine that she stood in the midst of those men broken with her head down. And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We tend to be like the Pharisees that caught this woman in adultery. We see things that other people do that are wrong. But as we're bending over to pick up a rock to throw at them, We can't see the words of the vices that Jesus is writing about ourselves, about the very things that we struggle with, something that Jesus knows about us that He's writing on the ground. Jesus had mercy. And He said to the woman, where are these men that brought you, that were ready to stone you? Where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And I find it interesting that it started from the oldest that left first down. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you, but take note. Don't do this anymore. Go and sin no more. People today, each one of you, we have an opportunity to choose to do right. Every day, every moment, every desire... God has given us a way to escape temptation. To lay down some of those things that draw us away from God. Whether it's pride. Maybe it's rebellion. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's some other thing that I haven't mentioned that you in your conscience, by the Holy Spirit speaking to you, know that you struggle with a vice in your life. 
But I want to say this. God, through Jesus Christ, has extended His hand of mercy. Through Jesus Christ and these worms that plague us, we can choose whether we want to pick them up out from under the rock or the clump of grass or the mulch pile or out of the can of the internet. We can choose to do that. Or we can choose to live a righteous life and pay attention to the warnings, realizing that we serve a holy God And it doesn't matter if we can hide it from our brother or sister in the church or a fellow Christian. But what matters is God knows your heart. He knows my heart. And so what will I do? What will you do moment by moment, choice by choice, decision by decision? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your soul. Peace. And then in verse 30 he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus suffered. He died. He he gave all that He had so that we might have eternal life. And it is a moment by moment choice of whether we're going to go to the rock whether we're going to go to the clump of grass, whether we're going to go to the can and pick out some of those things that are going to draw our attention away from God, continually erode our Christian lives, or we can choose to say, you know what? I'm going to put the lid on the can. I'm going to be careful of what I pull out of that internet and keep a lid on that can. I'm going to be careful of where I go, which rock I look under, which clump of grass I look behind, which pile of refuse I dig through. So where is your heart? Where is my heart? What is our ultimate desire for ourselves personally, but then down the road, eternally? We are watchmen. Whether you recognize it now or not, there is someone following after. We need to be the man in the crow's nest saying, I see danger. Be careful over here. Let's not do this. I'm going to stay away from that personally. So may God bless you as you strive to live a godly life, as we strive to be careful of the worms that we pick up that can slowly draw us away from God. Lord bless you.